Welcome to Full Rigor, a true crime podcast based in Florida. On this episode, we're talking about the shocking gang rape case of the New Bedford, Massachusetts woman who was gang raped on a pool table at Big Dan's Tavern in the early 1980s and then had to flee the state in the middle of the night due to death threats after the rape trials convicted four of the six defendants. Her name was Cheryl Arujo, and her story doesn't end there. She relocated to South Florida to save her life. Instead, she mysteriously ended up dead. I investigated her death in a single car accident and talked with her daughters who were with her during the crash and her mother about the events. This is her mom, Arlene. This is what she says about what Carrie told her about the accident. But she just kept saying no. At the end, they just get off the road, push mommy off the road. She kept saying that, you know, over the years. Why then? I believe so. She told FHP Troop, is that right? I believe she did. And who do you think it was? I don't know. I personally, myself, I think it had something to do with the guy who said up here. Uh, yeah, I went to court and that. So she thinks it was the wow. the threats. Retaliation. Retaliation down here. And Carrie even said, you know, uh, that she had bad dreams and could see her mom's face in her dreams. And she said that there had been a lot of death threats, that she just, she would wet the bed. Yeah, when I think we got, like, kicked out of the state, basically, for being, like, harassed. And I remember that, yeah, they found us in Florida. And I, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if it was our house or they contacted us somehow. Maybe it was pretty horrifying. I mean, I went to bed and had nightmares until I was 12. You know what I mean? I, every, I had the same dream every day for so long. What was it, your mom's face? Yep. But do you think it's possible that you were being followed? Yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, there was marks on the car that didn't match the color, and it looked like the car had been sideswiped. Oh. So I spoke with Arlene. This is Cheryl's mom. And what was really interesting is that what she told me about that event, the rape. And then did she tell you at all about the incident at Big Dan? About three days later. Oh, she did? She told me some of it. And I said, well, wasn't that a shame what happened to that girl at Big Dan's? And she looked at me. She didn't say nothing for about 10 minutes, and she said, that was me. 1983, mm-hmm. Cheryl Rougeau stopped at a bar called Big Dan's Tavern in New Bedford, Massachusetts. She, it was actually the night of her daughter's birthday. She had a newborn and then she had a three-year-old, Carrie. And it was Carrie's third birthday. And she, Cheryl wanted cigarettes. So it's a Sunday night. And she goes out because she needs cigarettes. And the corner store is closed. So she goes to Big Dan's Tavern to buy cigarettes. That's basically what happened. Cheryl was gang raped by at least six Portuguese they call them greenhorns, immigrants, uh, and some of them didn't even speak English, on a pool table. So they made the movie The Accused on a pinball machine so no one would be sued mm-hmm. and they could tell the story loosely and not right. have to pay her daughters or family you know, any money. Yeah, no royalties. And the rape took place for a much longer period of time. Almost two hours. So yeah. it would be like the entire movie would be based on the rape. It's horrible. She did get to tell her story. Cheryl got to tell her story in two trials that happened morning and night in New Bedford. Jeez. So once this went to trial, four of the rapists were convicted. Two of them were not. And one of them, Virgil Medeiros, remember these rape trials were carried on CNN Live. One of the first filmed, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. This is the first time, really, that cameras were in the courtroom for a rape case. 
It was horrible. They put the lens cap on for her when she, but you heard her voice, mm-hmm. and so she had to face her attackers and she had to face cameras, but you didn't see her. Yeah, but she still had to move away and everything. Yes, despite so, not being seen. That's right. Well, what happened was when the two that weren't convicted walked out. Virgil Maldiris was one of them. He points his finger in the CNN camera and says, "I'm going to get that bitch." Wonderful, nice guy. Yes. So. And you're you're failing to mention one of the more important parts, that these guys were all members of a gang. The Portuguese mob was very big back then. And they had to try the case in New Fall River because New Bedford, you know, they had to change the venue. And they marched, the Portuguese marched in the streets, 10,000 strong, because they felt that they were getting a bad rap. And sure, it was half Portuguese. Yeah, even the women of that gang, didn't they, like, condemn her and say it's her fault? And, Talk like, radio. They well, co- they said she should be hanged. Yeah. She asked for it. Yeah, because of the way she was dressed, the way she behaved. It was horrible. Being there at that time, just anything, right? Yeah, so shortly after the trials ended, Cheryl got a call from the prosecutor who said, you need to get out of town because of death threats. Jeez. The so prosecutor saying The this. prosecutor called her up, and he used the money, 500 bucks he gave her and the family. Her common-law husband, Michael, she had the two children with him, but they never married. And some speculation was so they could have welfare checks paid. But his parents lived in a mobile home park down here in South Florida, thus where Florida True Crime lives. She came to South Florida. And what happened here? She came here to, for safety, to save her life, and she ended up dead. Yeah, and your book looks at the reason she ended up dead. Correct. So that was in 1986. So the rapes were in 83. By 1986, she was dead. In 1988, The Accused comes out, the movie, and she's already dead. So two years after she's dead, the movie The Accused comes out with Jodie Foster. Correct. Okay. She died in an accident. A car accident, A car accident. So I, as a traffic reporter in Miami, started looking into this accident that killed her uh, a couple years after it. Actually, it was in 2006 I started looking into it. I spoke with the FHP trooper, and I spoke with the medical examiner that examined her body. Her two daughters, Carrie and Jessica, were with her in the car. And they survived? They survived. Okay. She wrapped this manza around a a pole, a cement pole. and And... What initially happened was the FHP trooper got to the scene and he couldn't find, it was raining, so he couldn't find any skid marks or anything. But Carrie, who was six, kept telling him a white van ran mommy off the road. A six-year-old. Now, if you've ever been around a six-year-old, they usually don't make stuff up like that, especially in that kind of scenario. So it probably happened. I mean, I I read your book and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but why would a six-year-old make that up? Well, I was curious. So I actually, Freedom of Information Act, got the accident report, all the photos, which are in the book. If you want to go to theaccuserbook.com. In the report, it says that the six-year-old child, Carrie, told them that a white vehicle or a van ran their vehicle off the road. It's, it's in writing in Lieutenant Cole's report. And no one ever questioned this? No. They were given, according to Lieutenant Cole, when I spoke with him, he said that they weren't given enough time to investigate these types of things, single vehicle accidents, deadly single vehicle accidents. So Why weren't they given the time? They the were law. On- that was just the law. Yeah, yeah, the law was different. Okay. Yes. 
So he said he was able to solve another case where a drunk driver ran someone off the road and killed him by putting up a billboard and an ad in the Miami Herald. Really? Yes. So he had enough time. You know, he said if I had more time, I would do that with this case. But he didn't. So he was able to find the guy. The guy had sold his car in Hialeah. And they Isn't found amazing? him. Uh, what, what was the time restriction? Was it like a you month? Got, you got a month to investigate a case and then you had to move on. But yes. Yeah, so that time, okay. that timeline was expanded when the FBI agent... David Farrell got into the wrong way wreck on 95 in Broward County with the two black kids in the Kia that were headed to FAU. And they blamed the kids for it. They blamed the kids. And it was the FBI guy who was drunk and they never, no one took any blood or any alcohol roadside tests. There was a reporter, Brian Andrews, for Channel 7 who went to the hospital and they had a blood sample at the hospital and proved that Farrell, the agent, was the drunk driver going the wrong way. And he killed those two kids. It was horrible. I remember that. It was horrible. Well, then what happened in that case was that the jury couldn't decide because it was so screwed up by how FHP had investigated it. He was only convicted of DUI and not DUI manslaughter, so he didn't do very much time in jail. And shortly thereafter, they redid all the turnpike toll plazas so you couldn't get on north or south unless you were going that way. Yes. You couldn't, because it was... How do you get on the wrong way on 95? Uh, before, though, on, on, on 95, I don't understand. you got to be pretty messed up. But on the turnpike, it was easy. It was easy to do before. You could just go, okay, I'm going left instead of right, and the next thing you know, you're going the wrong way. So all this is in the book because it, it all leads back to her case and that there wasn't enough time. And after that, then Jeb Bush, the governor of Florida, they expanded the amount of time that FHP had to investigate accidents because this was this pitted the FBI against FHP. Right. And it was a mess. This was about a couple years later after her accidental death. But also her case in terms of the rape with the cameras in the courtroom impacted a Florida case here in Palm Beach that would be Ted Kennedy's nephew William Kennedy Smith's rape trial so how that was handled and who was Ted Kennedy the senator of Massachusetts yeah well she was living in his state wow did he help her no no well why why would he no it's Ted Kennedy so he walked away from Chappaquiddick come on correct another drunk driving situation right Yes. Wow. So um, I spoke with the lieutenant who investigated the accident and he and had the accident report. There was nothing checked in terms of alcohol involved or impairment or anything like that. I also spoke with the paramedics who were on the scene and they didn't check any. You know, they worked on Cheryl. She was the car kind of did a like a fortune cookie around the pole and it was on the driver's side. So she was smooshed in there oh, and her geez. eye kind of came out of the oh, socket geez. and her daughter was sitting in the front seat, Carrie, and she said, go get help. And so when they pulled her out, finally, after they arrived on the scene, they worked on her, but she was dead at the scene and the girls were airlifted. There was nothing checked in terms of any kind of alcohol involved, drugs involved, nothing to that. But she was actually coming home to the trailer park from rehab that day, they were watching football and they were eating what's called kale soup, which is like a leafy green vegetable. Right. That's the Portuguese love this. It's soup of the poor. Kale so soup. kale soup. So they went out to get bread. That's why they were on the road for the soup. So there's no alcohol involved so far, but and the daughters all say no. You know she wasn't drinking, and I find I've actually found them and was able to talk to them after the fact. What's really weird about this whole thing is that. Cheryl was a slow driver, according to her mom, and she would never have put the children at risk. She loved the kids. Right. 
So let's hear from the, these actual people themselves. Uh, Carrie spoke with me in 2006. I found her at a Gino's Pizza where she was working. She had no cell phone because she had to pay $300 for her own daughter's costume for a dance recital. Wow. She's an unmarried mother as well. It's like a cycle. And Carrie told me she remembers what happened in the accident that she was sitting in the front seat. I was sitting there. I was pretty sure I was in the front seat. I don't really remember the crash. I remember kind of more after. I remember looking over and seeing my mom, very visual. I remember that exactly. Kind of face, kind of torn. I don't even think her eye was in her socket. And um, she looked at me and she said, get out. Kind of threw myself out the window. I remember just laying on the floor. I see her cars go by. And I woke up in a helicopter with them picking glass out of my face. Picking glass out of her face. Wow. Chills. Right? That's horrible. And then she she remembered it like it was yesterday. Right? Jeez. So, oh, so that's Carrie recalling what happened. Uh, and she also recalled before the accident, she says, no, her mom was not drinking. I remember maybe like a little fight between my dad and my mom before we left the house that day. I'm pretty sure that my mom probably wasn't drinking because I think that she was in rehab at the time. I think she was going back. Never thought she killed herself, but I never thought it was an accident because of alcohol. I always thought something happened. I don't know, somebody ran up off the road or... So, she recalls a very strange incident before the accident. Her mom kept telling the two girls, Jessica, the the little one, was in the back seat not wearing her seatbelt. Carrie was the responsible one wearing her seatbelt in the front seat. And Cheryl was not wearing a seatbelt. And she said that Cheryl kept telling them that she loved them. I do remember my mom telling us a lot that she loved us. Always remember, I love you. Always remember, I love you. It's really weird on the way to the store. Actually, it's a little weird. I don't know why. She's just saying it a lot, kind of. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She remember, I always love you. I always love you. I love you guys very much. And, um, what did you think of that? Nothing I really thought about until I... Until I got older and actually realized what happened, you know what I mean? Evaluated the situation in my head. What did you evaluate? How did you evaluate it? Just that that was weird. It doesn't help because you hear a lot of different stories from a lot of different people. What are the stories you've heard? So we'll get to what she's heard, but... Again, this is in New Bedford. I found her up there. It was very difficult. I found Jessica and Arlene, Cheryl's mom, and I also found Carrie. And those interviews were conducted in 2006 as a part of research for my book. And here's what some of the rumors that the girls heard. This is from Carrie. I've heard that they thought she was trying to commit suicide, that she got ran off the road, that she was being chased, that she was being followed. What do you think? I think that it's quite possible that we were being followed or maybe even chased off the road because there was a lot of problems going on at that time because of the whole rape incident. And there was a lot of threatening phone calls. And do you think your mom would have killed herself? Would you no. have a car? No. Not at all. Not even a little bit. Okay, so here we have, there's no alcohol reported in the any of the traffic report or the medical examiner's report. In fact, when the medical examiner, Dr. Valerie Rao, opened her up, she reports, and I have it in the book, there's the report, the smell of a leafy vegetable, which would have been the kale. kale. Now, if she'd been drinking, you can imagine what it would have smelled like. I mean, autopsy, when there's a lot of alcohol in the stomach, apparently it's... Stinks. It's very soury. Right. Yeah, they know right away. Well, plus they would have known because she would have probably reeked alcohol if she was drunk. Correct. You know, I mean, just the paramedic would have yeah. smelled it. Right. Yeah, the cop would have smelled it. The paramedic would have smelled it. Somebody would have smelled it. It's kind of hard to you know hide the smell of alcohol when you're trashed. Correct. And 
so between when the toxicology report comes out and after she's buried up in New Bedford, uh, the story gets out. And FHP Trooper tells the Boston media, he actually calls up there for her driving record and everything. And when the media gets a hold of it, they're like, oh, my gosh, the big dance girl's dead. Wow. It's a huge story. Right. So about 10 days later, the toxicology report comes out and it's lit up like a Christmas tree with a point two six or two nine alcohol levels. Oh, that's like she couldn't walk. Correct. She would be incapacitated, mm-hmm. a bumbling, stumbling drunk. So Carrie's telling me and her mom, Arlene, says there's just no way that she would have been drinking with the kids in the car. And I even spoke to Michael, the common law husband. He said no. And she was in rehab at the time. This is her mom, Arlene. This is what she says about what Carrie told her about the accident. But she just kept saying no. If the end made her get off the road, pushed Mommy off the road, she kept saying that, you know, over the years. Away then? I believe so. She told FHP Troop, is that right? I believe she did. And who do you think it was? I don't know. I personally, myself, I think it had something to do with the guy who could. Up here? Uh, yeah, I went to court and that. So she thinks it was the wow. the threats. Retaliation. Retaliation down here. And Carrie even said, you know, uh, that she had bad dreams and could see her mom's face in her dreams and that a lot of bad things were going on at that time. And she said that there had been a lot of death threats and seeing her mom's face that way, that she just, she would wet the bed. Yeah, when I think we got, like, kicked out of the state, basically, for being, like, harassed. And I remember that, yeah, they found us in Florida, and I'm pretty sure, I don't know if it was a house or they contacted us somehow. Maybe it was pretty horrifying. I mean, I wet the bed and had nightmares until I was 12, you know what I mean? I, every, I had the same dream every day. So what was it, your mom's face? Yep. But do you think it's possible that you were being followed? Yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, there was marks on the car that didn't match the color, and it looked like the car had been sideswiped. Oh, that's kind of revealing. And after you wrote your book and you uncover all this information, they never even looked at the case again? No. Done. Done. Because of that alcohol level. So Yet it was not determined by a paramedic or a cop on the scene that she was drunk. No, and I also have in there from reporters who were calling back from Boston going, but you said that she wasn't incapacitated. They were so confused. Wow. So it was open and shut, and by the time the thing hit the silver screen in the movie The Accused, people didn't even realize, A, that this woman was dead. It's true. <laughs> you know, and then when Jodie Foster gave her acceptance speech at the Oscars, she, doesn't even, she said, this is about family, but no... And these girls were just living this over and over horrible cycle of unwed mothers and no money. And the movie made like $68 million. And they got nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that was based on their mother's story. Exactly. It's based on their life. Didn't they deny that it had anything to do? Yes, they even denied it because that's why they made it on the pinball machine and not the pool table. Yeah, they said it wasn't based on real events. But it happens to come out in 1988. Yeah. The timing. No, and then actually the attorney for Virgil Modero says that he got a call from Hollywood saying they wanted video from the trial and that they deliberately put it on the pinball machine so they wouldn't get sued. Wow. Instead of a pool table. Well, it was initially cha- written to be on a pool table. And they changed the name of the bar. Yes. Right. Well, it's from Big Denton's Hammer to the Mill. So I spoke with Arlene. This is Cheryl's mom. And what was really interesting is that 
what she told me about that event, the rape, she said that she would go to Cheryl's house to watch soap operas and spend time with the grandkids. And about three days after the rape, she went over to Cheryl's house, and this is what was discussed. And then did she tell you at all about the incident at Big Dan? About three days later. Oh, she did? Well, she told me some of it. And I said, wasn't that a shame what happened to that girl at Big Dan? And she looked at me. She didn't say nothing for about ten minutes, and she said, that was me. I said, why didn't you tell me? Did I just didn't want to tell anybody. I said, oh, my God, you know? What can I do to help you? Wow. She didn't I even didn't tell know. him. <laughs> Holy oh cow. God. Alexa, you're 20, what, three? 23. What would you, could you, you would tell your mom, right? Um, yeah, I think I would. No, I don't know right away. Like, you know, Cheryl calls her grandma when it happened. I would probably tell my grandma first, too. But she was just, closer to her grandma, yeah, actually. She's yeah, she's just so young. It's like crazy. I couldn't imagine, you know, after the fact, too, like going in the book. She goes with the officer after she gets her rape kit, and she goes back to the bar and IDs the men. And that's just brave. Could you imagine going through a whole rape kit, like escaping, then going back to the scene of the crime and having to ID the people who did this to yeah, you? Yeah, that would never happen today, you know? I no. Mean, you would never have to go back and ID them. And they, well, in, in the movie... And they, they were still even, there. Yeah. They didn't yeah, they think were, they did anything wrong. Yeah, and in the movie, the cops didn't even believe her. They were right. like, yeah, and half of them thought it was her fault. Well, that's the same way in what happened to Cheryl. On talk radio, everyone became legal eagle experts. And that's when it was realized, you know, that these people don't know what they're talking about. And they're like trying the case in the media and people are calling in. She should be hanged. It's horrible. They hated her. She was shamed. And the actual suspects were lionized and she was vilified. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Today, that wouldn't happen. You think? (laughs) Well, what Ow. happened in the William Kennedy Smith case with That's, Patty Bowman? Well, it they was treated her like crap. They a, told about her abortions. He was a Kennedy. When and I worked at Channel Twenty Five, we took the blue dot off her face right after she was. It was not guilty. We identified her. That's horrible. You know, that poor woman, you're right. And, and Until this day, I think he's as guilty as the day is long, but that's besides the point. But he was the, found innocent. The Me Too movement, I think Cheryl started the Me Too movement back then. But you know what? I think more people would say it was Jodie Foster that kicked off the Me Too movement because she played the character in the movie. Well, but Cheryl stood up to the accusers in court oh, I agree. twice a day on live TV. And then she gets run into the state, and she's still taking care of her daughters, so she's a good mom. I mean, she's all of these things for women, you know? She actually had a book and movie deal. She was trying to write the book. She's on a payphone because they can't afford a phone, to L.A. with a, a girl that was writing the book and the screenplay. And she was given an advance of a couple hundred bucks, according to Michael, but her attorney, um, Panoff in Miami, said she got about seven grand advance for these. So maybe somebody didn't want her telling the real story because the real story never made it to Hollywood and she stood up to Hollywood. I mean, weren't some of the men trying to get appeals at that time too on their cases? They were still in jail, right. Yeah, and they were still appealing their cases. And by the way, they all got about six years. That's it. For two hours of rape. It was horrible. The whole case was horrible. I mean, this woman, she gets raped, she gets vilified for it, and then she gets killed for it. I mean, that's at least what your book made me believe. I mean, I never knew all that stuff about her after the fact. No. If you asked someone, where's the girl that this was based on? They're like, I don't know. 
Yeah, they are, and a lot of people think, oh, I didn't know it was based on a movie, I, a real person. I thought it was just a movie. This is real true crime. Yes, exactly. You know, that was in my backyard. I mean, New Bedford's real close to Rhode Island. Everyone was talking about this one. Did you hear about the girl that was gang raped on a pool table? A 12-year-old rapes a 10-year-old on a pool table because he learns about it after he comes home from school. And this was revealed in the Senate Judiciary Committee that was held the hearing after all the coverage, which Cheryl was not invited to testify in. There were 20 other rape victims, and Arlen Specter was the uh, the head of it, and Ted Kennedy mm. was in it, part He's, of the part of the commission. And how much did he have to do with Dan's Tavern? Nothing, zero, mm. nothing. But why wouldn't he defend this woman? No, he did nothing for her. That's terrible, horrible he, senator. He had his own problems. A few years later, here where he was walking around with no pants on at the <laughs> Kennedy compound <laughs> the night of the alleged rape with the yeah. William Kennedy Smith. Yeah, but uh, he didn't see anything. And it was there was no girl there. Well, well, what, was he, what was his excuse? I remember. Well, you covered it. Yeah. Well, when he when he testified, it was like he sucked the oxygen out of the courtroom. The prosecutor was terrified of him. Really? He was very powerful. It was a very powerful moment. And the Kennedys were there in full force. Let me tell you, John John was there. And this is all in the book, The Accuser. If you go to theaccuserbook.com, you can see more. I have photos of Cheryl actually at the accident scene. Yeah, they're pretty tough to look at. Yeah, they are. Yeah, that's pretty disturbing. Yeah, it is actually. You did a great job, though. Congratulations. I can honestly say that my friend is a published author. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Well, it's true. I mean, how many people do you know have a book they published? Well, then this was a lot of work. I put many, many years into this. I just wanted to sum everything up with uh, Carrie recalls that her mom had issues... She wasn't the greatest girl, according to Carrie. And she says that she and Jessica were more of the glue that held the family together. Like, not like they had a great loving, I'll be there for every relationship, you know what I mean? I don't think so. I mean, yeah, my dad loved her to death, but from what I understood, she wasn't the greatest girl. Knock out, you know what I mean? She did things, probably because he didn't want to, and she wanted to, and they were both young, had kids really young, and I think... We were kind of more of the glue. Wow. So they were high school sweethearts, and she got pregnant and had to drop out of school with Carrie. And then they had Jessica. And so her whole life was just... So these kids never really knew her. No. They were so young when she died. And now Michael's moved on, and I found both girls in New Bedford, but now Carrie has moved out to California. Jessica's still in New Bedford. Yeah, I mean, if you were one of these kids and you knew this happened to your mom in New Bedford, would you go back to New Bedford? I think I would avoid that like the plague. Especially with the opinion of the family there. Well, yeah, and, you know, everybody thought she was she was the guilty one, you know, not the victim. So how do you go back to that? That's, that, that takes a lot of guts. I give them credit for that. Maybe it's because they only had family there, and that's why they had to go. That's what I was thinking, you know, the grandma's there. Yes, yeah, so the grandma paid for the funeral, and it's a tough story all the way around. But Michael's moved on. He's got his own family. He remarried. So the daughters, they never really got any help for anything, and so... Just to wrap this up, part of the proceeds from this book I am giving to Carrie and Jessica, and I dedicate the book to them. Isn't that nice of you? Thank you. Yes. Yeah. It's yes. a nice thing for you to do. It's about family, and she kept telling them how much she loved them. Wow. And so I just wanted to give back. It really, the story really hit me. I, you know, and you, and you think about it, and, and if you haven't seen the movie, I don't know if you can even find it anymore. <laughs> Maybe if you did a, you know, a search on demand somewhere. It, I, rem- I saw that movie in the theaters. Me and too. I remember down here. I was living down here at the time, and I was like, "God, it, it was it really bothered me that that whole scene." It was, and like, that's only two minutes. I know it was horrible. It was horrible to watch. And then the, the guys that they had who portrayed the men 
were just so maniacal and evil, you hated them instantly. It was like, oh, my God. Yeah. And then they turned the whole thing around. But Jodie Foster, I mean, she more or less opened that whole thing up. Granted, they might not have given Cheryl the, the accolades they should have or the credit they should have. But still, I mean, if it weren't for Jodie Foster, none of us would have known about this one. Well, Michael's mother was in Vegas and the, on the news. One of the anchors introed the story about the movie The Accused and said it was based on Cheryl Arujo's life. So she drove to the TV station to get the copy of the tape. Oh, my God. And they wouldn't give it to her. Why not? Good question. Wow. So that and more in the book. It's called The Accuser. Go to theaccuserbook.com or you can order it on Amazon. It's The Accuser, the true crime story of the Big Dan's gang rape victim, Cheryl Arujo. And it's really an interesting read. And there's all the evidence is there. I have pictures of everything. So come up with your own conclusion. Well, my conclusion was what you came up with. She was murdered. I think so. Me too. I agree. And so do her daughters. And I'll tell you, the medical examiner and and even Lieutenant Cole, the FHP trooper, they didn't rule it out. It's scary. Yes. It's scary. It's nice to know that uh, injustices were made back then, too. Yes. Jeez, thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Lexi. (laughs) Thank you, Jennifer. You're welcome. Thank you. And that's the latest installment of Full Rigor, where Florida true crime lives.